1: Hello everybody and welcome to an edition of Dying Straight Cast on Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by our friends over at Blue Wire and the Rotoviz Radio Network. Another week of free agency is in the books. We got some more news to cover, free agency and otherwise. And this evening I am joined by my good friend Dan Seno. How are you this evening, my friend?
2: That's right. I'm I'm good. We've got uh, a couple more of the big names fell into place, which will be fun to to talk about. To go over a little bit of valuation, some interesting news as well in 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 all the in the a topic, I suppose. So we'll we'll get through some of that as well. But um, yeah, it should be it should be definitely an interesting episode with a lot of the big names now coming through free agency.
1: And we are joined by another awesome member of the Rotoviz team, a managing editor, co-owner of Rotoviz, co-host of the Fantasy Ball Report on Rotoviz Radio, and a consultant on draft day. Consultants like myself, Blair Andrews, has joined the program. How's it going, right, Blair?
3: It's going great. I uh, can't wait to get into these uh, free agent discussions. So yeah, it should be should be fun. A lot of yeah. big news.
1: Yeah, for sure. Exciting stuff. And like we'll get into the show. So Dan mentioned briefly a non-free agent topic, some news in the air, and we'll, we're going to try and approach this as delicately as possible and just kind of talk about the market perspective from a dynasty perspective on this topic. Deshaun Watson is in the news. So um, there are a number of allegations and things of that matter uh, flying around Deshaun Watson at the moment. We're unclear of how much this will escalate, if at all. And so it does seem like it has escalated some in the, in the past week in terms of his dynasty market value. And I'll kind of start off with my take here. I When we get to these situations and we're talking about buying the player who is, has this type of a you know risk around him we've seen it with a Tyree Kill. we've seen it with Kareem Hunt we've seen it with a bunch of players where you know there's some news but we're not sure how much this news is going to impact their future value as a as a baseball player as an NFL player my general stance is don't make trades where you'll regret if they never play again and there there are ways to you know assess his value and if if not comes of this if limited things come of this that you know there's ways to profit off of this from a dynasty games perspective so my general view is that don't pay a price that you'll regret when it becomes a zero but also that doesn't mean you can't pay more than zero like you can pay more than zero and say well that was worth the home run swing if it turns into zero it's not the end of the world like don't trade things that you will regret trading if it be, if it goes to zero
2: Yeah, it's a it's a weird spot. And obviously we are not going to do any of the well, this is what I believe in any of that game. So like Nathan, you said, I mean, if you can if you can find that medium ground where you're not giving up the world to get something that could potentially become a league winner that that's a spot you want to put yourself in. Uh, I would probably find myself in the category of finding it very tough to buy because most owners right now, because of how the news is and we really don't know much, most people probably aren't panic selling yet. If you have that opportunity to panic buy uh, from a panic seller, I think it's a great opportunity to get in at maybe a, a mid QB2 price if someone's really trying. And that's not going to make or break your dynasty team. Paying for Deshaun Watson's value at its peak, yeah, that could make or break your team, especially for a year, maybe two. So if you can get in at a serious discount for someone that is just, you know what, I'm not putting up with this and I'm sick of the news, I don't want to deal with it, you know, a totally understandable. Uh, it's, it's not fun having potential headaches on the roster, whether it swings one way or the other. We don't know yet. It sometimes it's worth to, to make those moves. It, it can be crushing for a team, but it, it's hard to say what's what right now.
3: Yeah, and I mean, I think kind of going along with, with uh, what both of you said, it seems like this is not a situation where you want to necessarily be panic selling or panic buying, uh, right? You kind of maybe are going to be better positioned if you, if you kind of remain patient here and see, uh, see where his value does end up. You know, I was just looking at FFPC ADP in our app, which uh, not for Dynasty, for Best ball, which obviously is is different, but probably moves a little quicker. But he's already dropped almost 20 spots. It looks like in that, so there probably is going to be some value in Dynasty uh, if you're if you're patient or if you're uh, willing to grab it. Yeah. yeah.
1: I as a Dynasty player and as a Facebook player in general, I'm always so uncomfortable with these scenarios. Because someone is either going to incredibly benefit from a, an, an, a discount, or someone is going to sink their team if they if they invested at a high you know price point. If you invest like in a redraft or a redraft best ball at like a ninth, or tenth round price tag, like, that's not going to sink a best ball team. But investing you know second, third round type asset into Sean Watson and a dynasty startup that might sink your dynasty team or you know hamper your dynasty team in the short term.
2: It's almost one of those positions that makes me want to, which is, there's no way you could actually do it because it's it's so different. It's so circumstantial that a player in the news at this capacity, it's like a lockdown.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
2: That player don't don't allow a roster move, you know, because you can you can on you can ruin a team. You could potentially ruin the league by huge value swings in crazy moves like that, but also by locking said player in, you're restricting that owner's potential to gain from what could be a huge loss. So it's such a weird spot. I I hate that we even have to go through this crap, but I guess it's the nature of the beast. you know it happens but hopefully all everything ends up just the way it needs to be but it's at this point it's just kind of a sucky situation
4: look no one's perfect even the best baseball players strike out with the bases loaded the best golfers sometimes three putt with the tournament on the line so if you feel like you come up short in the bedroom sometimes it's perfectly okay but if it's bothering you there are options. Go to getroman.com/rotovis now. With Roman, you get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. A U.S. licensed healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, it ships to you free with two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to getroman.com slash rotoviz and complete an online visit. Take care of your ED without leaving home. Complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. Go to getroman.com slash rotoviz now to get $15 off your first month. Look, there's a straightforward way to take care of your ED. Getroman.com slash rotoviz. Get started now to save $15 on your first month of treatment.
1: All right, let's move on to the free agency news that we missed after we recorded on Tuesday night. We have Kenny Galladay uh, signing with the New York Giants. He was seemed like the one guy who was like, I'm going to get my payday. I'm going to get my payday today and for the long term. A lot of the other guys signed one-year deals. Kenny Galladay got a four-year deal um, at an average of $18 million a year. And so now he's going to this offense, and we – we talked about this. We talked, I feel like we've been talking about it for several years, like how good the weapons around the quarterback position in New York is. And this is another good example of adding some more talent at the wide receiver position. But what does that mean for Daniel Jones, Blair?
3: Uh, I mean, I think it's got to be good for Daniel Jones. I mean, you look at the guys he was throwing to last year, and it's uh, doesn't exactly inspire uh, much uh, enthusiasm, but I mean. You know, there are still question marks about Daniel Jones and about uh, whether he's actually any good. I think if he can't really if he can't really uh, put together a solid season with Galladay, then, you know, those questions only get even Galladay and Slayton and Shepard and Barkley. Yeah. Yeah. Right. By now. By now, he should be good. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I'm excited to see what happens. I think it could be good for Galladay, too. I mean, you know. It's maybe a quarterback downgrade, but on the other hand, he only played with Stafford for uh, part of the season. So it's, uh, you know, maybe not that much worse.
2: It's a weird one for me. I, I, I mean, it's obviously, in my opinion, a quarterback downgrade. We saw what Galladay did in 2018 and 2019 as a target leader in Detroit, and not even on 120 targets. He had fewer than that both years, still put up over 1,000 yards And 2019, he had the nice touchdown production, getting in the double digits. Uh, I think, yes, it it probably helps Daniel Jones, uh, at least in the short term. But I think it helps the other wide receivers more than it helps Kenny Kenny Galladay. Hmm. Kenny Galladay is not uh, not someone that gets release. He does not get separation. He is a 50-50 ball catcher. That's his game. He's great at it. But when you pair that with a quarterback that isn't good at throwing in tight windows or throwing with timing, I I don't see how Kenny Galladay wins there. I think it really helps Sterling Shepard because this should allow him to move into the slot exclusively. I think it really helps Saquon Barkley. And I think there's even a chance that it helps Darius Slayton, who can separate, who can get down the field. And I think Daniel Jones is fine going down the field. We know Kenny Galladay can get down the field but can he gain that separation to be able to have a comfortable window from that quarterback? Now it's possible. They just say, you know what, throw it, just throw it to him. He'll go get it. That takes a lot of trust, especially in a new relationship going from, you know, from Detroit into New York for Kenny Galladay. And obviously Daniel Jones has to, has to learn that really quickly here. So it's an interesting one. I think it helps everyone else, but Kenny Galladay, (laughs) It doesn't mean that I don't like him. I, I still do think Kenny Galladay is very, very good at what he does. I, I just, the fit with the quarterback, it it seems a little bit of a stretch to me. He got paid. He's going to get targets. Uh, I don't know. There's, there's Now there's going to be some, some competition as well because you even still have Evan Ingram there too. So targets could be relatively thin in an offense that's unfortunately probably still not going to be amazing because of Daniel Jones.
1: One one positive for Galladay here is that it seems like no one on the panel here, including myself, is a believer in Daniel Jones long term. And the Giants are basically saying, Here, Daniel Jones, here's everything we can possibly yeah. give you, succeed with it. If he doesn't succeed with it, he's gone. Yeah. And so Kenny Galladay signed a four year contract. So the odds that Daniel Jones is his quarterback for a majority of that contract are slim to none. So you you know, I, I think that this is Actually, you know, wet for the future Giants quarterback, it's great news because he's going to have weapons. Obviously, Shepard, Slayton, those guys aren't really as long-term assets as a Galladay or possibly an Ingram if he bounces back, and Barkley, of course. But basically what I'm saying is that I am i don't like it short-term for him uh, in, in New York, but I do think there's ways to bounce back with a better quarterback. Now let's go on to the Steelers and Juju Smith-Schuster re-signing there on a one-year deal. Um, coming back to Pittsburgh, he reportedly turned down more money from the Chiefs to play with Patrick Mahomes. Um, I, I think we need to test uh, Juju for a, a concussion. Um, <laughs> I'm Not sure why he did that. This was a puzzling move here because I feel like he could benefit from a change of scenery. You know, get a different quarterback, get a different coaching staff, and I I, I think this you know keeps his floor relatively high as a top twenty four wide receiver. But his ceiling could have been so much higher elsewhere.
3: Yeah, I agree. It is puzzling. Um, I mean, I get, I guess he is thinking, take a one-year deal, stay in Pittsburgh. I can prove myself next year when the cap is a lot higher, get a bigger deal. But I don't know. I think the other thing that's puzzling about this is that apparently the Chiefs also only offered a one-year deal. I think the Ravens offered him a one-year deal, like. Why is Galladay getting a four-year offer and Juju is not? I think that's maybe a little bit concerning.
2: I think some of these guys, maybe even when the talks begin are just saying, Hey, because of the down cap this year and we know it's growing next year, we're doing one year stuff. Whereas someone like Galladay who wanted 18 got 16, which is probably still high for Kenny Galladay. That works. That that's, you know, that fits into his window of what he wants to make. And Maybe he sees something in Daniel Jones or, uh, you know, there's the connections there in New York for him. So maybe he felt more comfortable there. Uh I, I think Juju takes the discount on a one year in Pittsburgh because, and it's something, you know, it, it is what it is. Maybe he doesn't like change. Maybe he just, he feels this group with Ben one more time can do something. And I can't blame him. That offense has a chance to be really, really good again. And the defense, we know what the defense is, so uh, I, I don't I don't hate it. I really hope we see the 2017 to 2019 version of Juju Smith-Schuster and not the 2020 version, which was essentially a poor man's Jarvis Landry, uh, which isn't a massive insult, but it's a little bit of an insult. Uh, I wouldn't hate his value getting to Jarvis Landry value, though, because as we all know, Jarvis Landry is historically and annually – a very nice buy if you're looking for really cheap wide receiver two points, and I'd be more than happy to start buying Juju if he gets into that value range. So uh, I don't hate it short term. Uh, I think it it provides more opportunity for 2022 for him to sign elsewhere uh, because 2020 for sure was just a, it was a down year for him. It was a down year for some of these some of these guys going into free agency, and he probably wasn't going to get paid. He's he's counting on himself. To bounce back in a major way and i think of all of these guys on this list that maybe didn't break out or didn't have a big season to finish up he's the guy that has the, the best opportunity to really prove it and, and bet on himself and actually win
1: yeah and i i think that the difference between galladay and juju as far as the, the one year versus the four year i think if galladay didn't find the Giants, he'd be signing a one-year deal somewhere too. I agree. I I I think that he just found the one team willing to give him 2022 money in 2021. I don't think that deal is coming from anybody else. But sticking with Juju, I you know it's good news for Ben. Um a little bit of a, a damper on the value of, of Chase Claypool and to some extent Deontay Johnson. Um, but it is a one-year thing. I, I don't see Juju there long term without something else happening, um, like a Deontay Johnson trade or something like that. But I think it's a stopgap. I think that it's a slight bump down in Juju's value for now, but nothing too crazy. Now let's go to Miami, and I'm going to read a couple of game split app numbers for you. 26.1 and 23.1. Three points per game is the difference for Deshaun Watson when Will Fuller plays uh versus when will for does not it's actually a little bit smaller than I thought um when I when I was going to check it out basically I'm using this as a as a way to say go by Tua but listen to this if you want to you know uh nitpick city here when Will Fuller has 100 receiving yards Deshaun Watson averaging 31 uh 31 points per game when Deshaun Watson when Will Fuller doesn't have 100 receiving yards Deshaun Watson, only 23 points per game. So eight point difference between when Will Fuller has 100 yards or not. I know that there's, you know, a lot of noise in that statistic, but it doesn't take a genius to find out when Will Fuller is there, his quarterback gets better. And certainly we need to see better from Tua than them than we, he, we did in 2020. I think that Will Fuller gives some something that Miami didn't have. And uh, as long as he's healthy, I think that offense is going to be pretty good. You know, I, assuming they uh, upgrade some stuff in the draft as well
3: i think oh go ahead blair no i was just gonna say this was an interesting an interesting move i thought considering um you know i don't know how strong the rumors are now but earlier you see miami connected with like jamar chase uh in the draft and um you know kind of thinking of that that pairing or chase with tua is interesting but fuller definitely gives them an element they've been missing so uh I think you know it's almost like the the Dolphins are doing the same thing with Tua that the Giants are with Daniel Jones, trying to make sure he has all the weapons he needs to.
1: Except Tua is actually good, though. So, <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, I agree. We still don't know, Nathan.
2: But uh, <laughs> I, what I was going to say is is another game splits. Uh, looking up there with DeAndre Hopkins in the lineup, good. Without DeAndre Hopkins in the lineup, great. Some would say elite. The splits there, PPR points, 11.5 with DeAndre Hopkins, which is good. Those are like low-end wide receiver two, high-end wide receiver three numbers. Without DeAndre Hopkins, averaging 16 points per game over 12. That, to me, speaks volumes. Now, does the NFL think Will Fuller can be a wide receiver one in an offense? Will Fuller has proven that he can be. Does he fit perfectly there? Probably not. He f- probably fits best as a 1B type player. And if they can pair him with Jamar Chase, that's massive. Because as, as good as he is, I don't think he's DeAndre Hopkins. I don't think he'll demand the target share that a DeAndre Hopkins would. His targets are very similar with Hopkins and without Hopkins. But all of his accolades, <laughs> everything he does is seemingly better because he's probably getting a higher quality of target that's a good thing i think moving forward whether it's with tua or whoever else i think will fuller can exist as a one i think he works best as a 1b or a 2 and uh, like blair said if they can surround tua with more talent i think that only helps will fuller
1: and and, and this is a one year deal too so you know fuller's going to have to stay healthy fuller's going to have to produce in order for him to get that big 2022 deal that i'm sure that he's seeking
3: All right. Yeah. The big the big question mark throughout Fuller's career has been whether he's going to be healthy. And it's easy to forget that he actually was played in every game he was eligible in in 2020, just uh, was suspended. So I don't know if he's turned the corner on that injury thing.
1: Well, yeah. And then the the (laughs) pessimist there would be, well, he was using steroids. So, of course, (laughs) Um, and he will not nothing. This doesn't really impact his dynasty or even his Redraft that much, but he will miss week one. Um, so that puts a slight discount on his value in the redraft <laughs> atmosphere. Now let's hear about ourselves over at Rotoviz.
0: Hey Rotoviz radio listener. This is Curtis Patrick from the Dynasty Command Center Podcast, and I've got a special deal for you today. Go to rotoviz.com.
1: That's right. Make sure to get your road subscription with promo code RV radio 2021. And now we're going to fly to the Pacific Northwest with the Seattle Seahawks. We have two signings, a re-signing and a signing. We have Chris Carson signing to be the lead man in that backfield. Not that much of a surprise, honestly a good thing for his value. And then Gerald Everett, a guy who I was always kind of meh on. I'm starting to like this spot for him in Seattle. So, uh, Dan, which which of these was most exciting for you?
2: Oh, Gerald Everett, for sure. I was always a Gerald Everett fan when he was coming out. Wasn't a huge fan of the whole Tyler Higby bit because I do believe Gerald Everett is a more dynamic player. Uh, I think he brings a lot more to the table as a pass catcher, just as someone on the field in general. We never really got to see full usage Gerald Everett You know, 2019 and 2020, he had over 60 targets, but only turned that into 78 catches for just a little bit over 800 yards and only a few touchdowns. So we haven't really seen an offense be able to lean on him. And with the Seahawks, historically, tight end is an important position for them. And with DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, now Chris Carson returning, I think Gerald Everett fits in really nicely there. I would expect them to probably add a a wide receiver three of some sort, unless they believe one of the guys currently on the roster can fill uh, that role nicely. I think think what we saw early in the year from Seattle was a little bit more of a sign of things to come because towards the tail end of the year, it just completely fell off and stopped working. They didn't look like the same offense. It looked like they were just trying to force random things that maybe they didn't see in the first half of the season. But early on, Seattle last year was a force to be reckoned with. They looked almost unstoppable. I would like to see them get back to doing that through the air, using weapons like Gerald Everett and their obvious top tandem in DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. So very, very excited for Gerald Everett. But the Chris Carson thing, I mean, that's, that's huge. It's a really nice, pretty cheap running back that you're more than likely going to get, I would say at the very least, mid-RB2 production from, assuming health. That offense, even with pass volume, is a lot for running backs that they, they always produce here. It, it's just death taxes and, and Seahawks running backs producing. It just it seems to be what it is.
3: Yeah, yeah, I agree with, uh, with all that. I'm definitely more excited about the, about the Everett signing. He's someone I have, uh, have liked quite a bit since he came into the league and he's shown some explosiveness in a few games. Like I think his, maybe his second game, he had like almost a hundred yards, you know, and he's done that. He's done that a few times had these explosive games, just kind of out of nowhere. Um, I'm just looking at his game logs, including once against Seattle, he had seven catches for 136 yards. So that sticks in their brain, I guess. But, um, yeah, Seattle is one of these teams that seems like they use the Tight end a lot, but they haven't actually had a good one for a long time. Right. So, so uh, hopefully, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely optimistic that Everett can be that guy. And then, yeah, the Chris Carson signing just makes sense. And I mean, he's someone who I almost am never drafting or acquiring, but he's always putting up high end RB2 numbers. So I really should probably get on board. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. And we, we we talk about it every week.
1: The Chris Carson is the perfect type of dynasty guy. Who he's always gonna be cheaper than uh, than his points are worth. You, you know, he probably costs you what like an early second, maybe a late first, the absolute most expensive, and he's giving you RB two points. That's that's a lot, especially. You know, what's one of the concerns of a UDFA is like, okay, like what's gonna happen? in the second contract we now know he got his second contract and so you know the UDFA label is all but gone on on Chris Carson and Gerald Everett's a solid guy here um so I agree with all the points there now let's wrap up the player talk with Curtis Samuel Dan I was a very I grew us into the pod and I basically like had a boner for Ryan Fitzpatrick <laughs> and the Washington <laughs> football team and, uh, you know, it only got larger when Curtis Samuel uh, signed with the team. I, I, I don't necessarily think Curtis Samuel is like a guy who makes a quarterback that much better, but he does make the offense better. And yeah, Curtis Samuel, I think it's a nice fit here. You know, it's not going to be a guy that, that takes away from what Terry McLaurin's doing. It's an ideal wide receiver, two slash, you know, RB slasher type. So, you know, between Samuel and Gibson, they have a very dynamic, you know, backfield slash receiving core.
2: It's, it, see, when, when we first heard the news, you texted me, and my response was, ugh, I hate that for Samuel. Uh, thinking about it more, I, I think the Fitzpatrick news helps. I still don't love it. Terry McLaurin is the alpha. He's going to get the, the lion's share of the targets. People keep sleeping on Logan Thomas for some reason. He had 110 targets last year, and he was very good with them. That's not going to change. J.D. McKissick had 110 targets. I would imagine he's probably going to lose about half of (laughs) those. Uh, Antonio Gibson, pretty good with the ball in his hands. I don't know if you've noticed. He probably is looking to increase his target share. There's not a ton of targets for Curtis Samuel. I can see him in that 80 to 90 target range and then getting like 70 carries just because. He had like 40 carries, I think, with Carolina. Last year, So I, I like it in, in the very, very short term. I think it's okay because of Ryan Fitzpatrick. I think the long-term worries are what are they doing at quarterback? Because obviously it's not Ryan Fitzpatrick. And can we see this offense really, really put into production a wide receiver two rather than a wide receiver one, a tight end and a running back? Because the way the offense ran last year, when those guys were going, it actually looked like a reasonable offense. It looked like that's how it should look. Adding in someone that's going to try to demand 100 targets doesn't seem plausible.
3: Yeah, I think this is a signing that probably is very good for Washington's offense and maybe not as good for fantasy owners you know, at the same time, Washington was throwing the ball to, like, Cam Sims, right, Steven Sims, all the Sims. Um, so, you know, those guys, if you, can, if you can stop putting the ball in their hands and get more playmakers involved, like Samuel and Gibson and stuff, then I think that's definitely good. So, yeah, this is an upgrade for Washington. Probably doesn't move the needle on Samuel that much for me.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think that he is definitely going to be the type of guy who – it's frustrating at times to own in seasonal where it's like, okay, like, can I find the week that he goes for 18? I mean, they get his you know seven to ten point games more often than not. All right, let's head on to our Rotoviz segment. We're gonna be talking about the backfield dominator rating today. And once again, you can find that on Rotoviz.com. Make sure you use promo code RVRadio2021. Get you 10% discount. And so we're going to talk with Blair about it right now, who penned the article uh, for 2021 recently. So, Blair, when we do these segments, I often like to, you know, explain it to me like I've never been on Rotovis. I don't know what game Split app is. I don't know what Dominator rating is. Explain it like I'm a toddler. What is the backfield Dominator rating and why should I care?
3: Okay, like a toddler. I don't know if I can do that, but I'll try. Um, <laughs> So when you're looking at uh, college running back stats, you can see the rushing attempts and the rushing yards and receptions, receiving yards and all that, and that's great. But it doesn't tell you necessarily how the player operated within the offense. Uh, you know, some offenses are much faster paced and stuff. So Dominator rating controls for that by measuring it, as a per- measuring production as a percentage. And the adjustment that backfield Dominator makes is just to compare running backs against only other running backs. So you can kind of control for scheme. Uh, you can control for running quarterbacks who don't throw a lot to their running backs uh, and other, you know, other things that are kind of independent, maybe, of the, of the uh, talent of the running back that you're trying to evaluate.
1: I see. Uh, that was so, like
3: that was like upper upper level college level. I
1: don't know. <laughs> You're good. <laughs> so uh, looking at um, I don't want to you know give away the whole cow here, but some of the guys that probably aren't valued as top guys in the the top two here are Jv and Hawkins and Jamar Jefferson. Uh, 0.88 for Hawkins. 0.85 for Jefferson. What what did they have that they did highly that makes them above everybody else?
3: Yeah, so uh, both of these guys, what they did is that they, I mean, they handled all the work in their backfields, right? They weren't sharing the backfield with another talented player. Uh, I'd have to look. So, yeah, I mean, in Jefferson's case, he didn't have a lot of receiving yards, but kind of the point of the backfield dominator is nobody in that offense had a lot of or no running back in that offense had a lot of receiving yards so we don't necessarily want to hold that against him and then Hawkins had a little bit more but it's the same sort of case where you can look at his raw production and some of it is not necessarily impressive 127 receiving yards he had 822 rushing yards so you know in a short season that's probably okay but um yeah looking at it in the context of what other running backs in his offense did makes it look even better. And I do
1: think that you're going to see similar results in the backfield dominator that you see in wide receiver dominator rating, where it's often going to undervalue the guys at the big schools, the Clemsons, the Alabamas, the LSUs, and then it's going to, Overvalue guys who are at smaller schools now. Louisville and and Oregon State are both Power Five conferences, so if you can have a a, a top dominator rating in those conferences, it's probably a good thing. Same thing with the, with the wide receiver position, where it gets a little hairier when you're getting outside the Power Five, like a Buffalo with Jared Patterson.
3: Yeah,
1: but basically, what I'm saying here is what another way you can also look at this, and we do it with wide receivers, is like when you have like an Amari Cooper who had a ridiculous dominator rating at Alabama that's incredibly impressive you have Najee harris who has a ridiculous dominator rating at alabama so you can use this to find top fight prospects at top schools and say even though they were at such a great school they still dominated the work
3: that's right Najee harris actually has uh you know this year he has the highest backfield dominator rating of any alabama back in our database which goes back to about 2009 10 something like that i can't remember exactly but uh uh, he has the highest, and also his 2019 backfield dominator is the second highest. So he's uh, he's pretty impressive in this metric and uh, is doing something that not a lot of other Alabama backs have done before. So he's okay. very interesting.
1: And just to get a little bit of a retrospect here, um, some of the top guys in your 2020 article, Eno Benjamin, who was a <laughs> pre-draft favorite who ended up sliding. One of the negatives here is that the back. Backfield dominator. You can dominate a college backfield, and then if you don't get the draft capital, you're not going to dominate any sort of NFL backfield. So ideally, you're using the the backfield dominator show, this guy can carry this amount of load, or this guy is forcing himself into a lineup, and then pair that with draft capital, and that can equal a guy who can get a, a nice workload. Like Cam Akers, you saw, at, he had one of the higher backfield domineerings last year, and towards the end of the year, he was showing he can dominate an NFL backfield.
3: For sure. Yeah, uh, it definitely helps when these top backs have a high dominator. Ring. I mean, someone like you know, Saquon Barkley is near the top of the list. But I mean, I've also found it to be really interesting in that it can sometimes pick out these later drafted guys from small schools who who you wouldn't think necessarily are, uh, are going to have uh, an NFL career, really. Like Philip Lindsay was the top backfield dominator in uh, whatever year he came out. Was it 2018? I can't remember. And before that, Aaron Jones was one of the top guys. So like these guys who are coming from smaller schools, who maybe don't have uh, prototypical NFL size, who are drafted later, um, they don't pan out that often, but this, uh, this metric has sometimes proved useful in finding them. So
1: all right, so uh, is there anything else with this this dominator rating, back to the dominator rating that you think is important for dynasty players to be looking at? Do you think that it's you know, looking at the rushing yards from the team or is it, you know, just the number in general? Like what's something that you should say, okay, when you look at this part of of the metric that's really what you what you want to be looking at?
3: Yeah, I think the thing that I like to to use it for the most is really to look at the guys who didn't have a lot of catches, didn't have a lot of receiving yards. And, you know, this metric kind of helps you understand why that might be the case. Uh, if they have a low backfield dominator rating, then it means they were sharing the field with someone who was probably better at catching passes than they were. But if they have a high one, then maybe that's uh, maybe their raw stats aren't necessarily giving you the full picture. So that's what I like to look at is how do how do they're receiving? How does their receiving production look in the context of the backfield dominator?
1: Okay, and we'll wrap up backfield dominator with: Is there one guy when you 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 pulled up his his dominator rating, and it kind of worried you? Like, oh, this guy might not be as good as everyone thinks. Guy might like, not because as you think, is there a guy you're maybe fading after looking at his dominator and statistics? I I know that you talk about in the article that there are like errors within the dominator rating where like there's there's no metric where they, it is not going to have misses. But in this metric, is there something that like, oh, this guy could be a bust because his his number is low or because his number is not as high as it should be?
3: Yeah. Um, I mean, there are guys who I wasn't necessarily very high on before anyway, but someone like Trey Sermon is concerning, I think, because of how low his dominator rating. The other guy who... Has getting been getting some buzz is uh, uh, Ramondre Stevenson, who I guess actually <laughs> so took his job. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, both of these guys are are a little bit underwhelming in the, in this metric, so I'm probably not drafting them at uh, at their ADP.
1: righty. that should wrap up the Backfield Dominator. And make sure to check that out on RotoViz.com. Get yourself that subscription, as we always talk about. And uh, appreciate you coming on, Blair. It was uh, a lot of fun, and uh, we always have, appreciate having you on.
3: Thanks. Okay. Anytime.
1: Oh, and make sure to follow Blair at Am I the Real Blair. And, yep, that should do it for this week. We'll talk to you guys next week. Kadoosh!